I don't, uh, I don't know if y'all ever went through this phase, but did, did you ever go through the phase where cops was your favorite thing to watch on TV? Anybody go? Okay, yeah. Okay, so good. Everybody goes through that too. Uh, for, for a while there, you know, it was live PD. But I remember going through that phase where cops, I was pretty much obsessed with it. I would watch it every day on TV. And I know it's meant to be a pretty serious show, but it just cracked me up. I mean, I was laughing all the time watching that show because no matter what happened, inevitably, the people who were on that show were going to do some really, really really dumb things and like one of the things they did consistently is a criminal would be you know getting arrested and for whatever reason they would always just take off running do y'all remember that it was like the go-to thing it's the worst thing you can do is you're being arrested and for some reason it was like the go-to so I remember I was watching one episode of Cops and they were arresting this guy, and they've got him there. They haven't put him in the handcuffs yet, but he's just looking jittery, you know? He's looking like he's going to run, and so they're looking at him. They go, hey, don't run. It's going to be really bad for you if you run. And so, you know, they're, they're still doing their thing. They're trying to get all the charges. They're trying to look, and he just he keeps making it like that. And they're like, hey, we already told you, don't run. It is going to be very, very bad for you if you run. And so what does Einstein do in that situation? <laughs> He takes off running, right? And so he's running. The cops are pursuing him. They're chasing him and everything. And the cop who's chasing him pulls out a taser. And he goes, you got to stop or you're going to get tased. Stop or be tased. And he keeps warning him and warning him and warning him. And this guy's just running, running. And he comes to this wooden fence. And he goes and he jumps on the fence. And he's about to climb over. And right as he's about to climb over, the cop, boom, pops him with the taser. And he goes forward. And his pants get hung on the top of the fence. And then he goes the other side. And so there he is hanging from his pants upside down on national television. Now, um, as a Christian and a pastor, I'm not sure if it's appropriate to laugh in that situation at a guy who's just been tased and is now hanging upside down, bare bottom by his pants on national television. But I couldn't help it, you know. I was dying laughing. I was losing it, like tears streaming down my face because it's real hard to feel sorry for a guy in that situation, is it not? I mean, he was warned repeatedly, hey, don't do this, it's going to be bad. Don't do this, it's going to be bad. Please stop running or we're going to have to tase you. And eventually, he suffers the effects of his own decisions. He's hanging upside down, pantsless on national television. Well, believe it or not, the Bible actually says things like that are to be expected in the kind of world we live in. That's exactly what this passage is trying to get us to understand. This passage is saying that there's going to be some people in our world who do some really, 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 really dumb things. Amen? Amen. Yeah, I would never be y'all. I know y'all would never do dumb things. Never. Never anything foolish. But other people, the, the Bible says other people are going to do foolish things, very dumb things. And there are going to be some people in our world who have a, a, an understanding of right and wrong, at least some level of understanding. And they're going to do the things they know are wrong. They're going to live sinful, immoral lives. Many of them are going to prosper as they're living these sinful, immoral lives. And what they're going to be doing as they're living this way is they're going to be laughing. They're going to be laughing at this idea that there is truly right and wrong. Right? You've seen people like this? They're going to be laughing as you're telling them, hey, what you're doing is wrong. And they know it's wrong, but they don't care because they're prospering. And so they're just laughing, 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 enjoying themselves. They're going to be laughing at the idea that there actually is a God in heaven who cares about how people live here on earth. 
They're going to be laughing at this idea that they're going to be held to some sort of standard one day. They're going to be laughing at the idea that there are consequences for their actions. They're going to be laughing the whole time. But the Bible is also saying here that God is going to get the last laugh. And I don't know if you know this, but the last laugh is the one that matters. He who laughs, laughs last laughs best. Try saying that three times fast. The last laugh is the one that matters. And the Bible is telling us God is going to be the one who gets that last laugh. So, in other words, you may think that you're getting away with your sinful choices. You may think that you're getting away in avoiding consequences for the sinful decisions that you're making right now. But that's not always going to be the case. If we continue to tune out the voice of God and reject His wisdom, the Bible says we're going to face the consequences of the choices that we make right now. In other words, this is what I want you to understand, church. If we don't heed the voice of wisdom, we will hear the laugh of wisdom. And you don't want to hear that laugh. That laugh is you upside down on a fence, pantsless on national television. We got that? Yeah? Okay, if you don't heed the voice of wisdom... You will hear the laugh of wisdom. And here, I'm just going to tell you my heart this morning. This is what I want more than anything for everybody in here this morning. I want every single one of you to begin to be able to recognize and hear the voice of God so you can heed what He says. In every aspect of your life, no matter where you are in your life, no matter what kind of realm you're in, sphere you're in, whether it's work or, or you're in the marketplace, you're in the streets, wherever it is, I want you to begin to be able to recognize the voice of God so that you can actually heed what He says. And you know that's hard to do, right? I mean, very often we're hindered from hearing the voice of God. And so that's what I want us to consider together this morning. What is it exactly that hinders us from hearing and heeding the voice of wisdom. If God is speaking to us and He is calling out to us and wisdom is there, what is it that hinders us from hearing and heeding the voice of wisdom? And I want you to notice how the passage starts there in verses 20 to 21. The Bible says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. So so here's my question to you. Why is wisdom calling out in the streets, in the marketplaces, and in the city gates? It's because that's where the people are, right? (laughs) Wisdom is there where the people are. Anywhere there are people, wisdom is also there. And wisdom has this pulpit and is preaching, is calling out constantly, trying to get people to hear the voice of wisdom and respond to the voice of wisdom. The problem is, folly has a pulpit too, and it's right there next to it. And folly is there preaching as well, and folly is calling out, and folly is just as loud as wisdom, and trying to get people to hear the voice of folly and follow it. And so often we do, do we not? You have these competing spheres. Do you see this? You've got competing voices in every aspect of your life, every sphere of your life. There's the voice of wisdom calling out to you, and there's the voice of folly. And if you're not careful, you're going to end up listening to and following folly rather than wisdom. So when you go to work, right? God is calling out to you in His wisdom, and He says, do everything for the glory of God. Work hard and honor Me in all that you do. But folly's right there when you go to work as well. Folly says it's okay to cut corners. No one's going to know about it. It's okay to lie. People won't find out. It's okay to steal time. You deserve it. As you're there in the workplace, 
Folly calls out and says, hey, it's okay to gossip after all. You're just chatting with coworkers. That's all it is, really. I mean, when you think about it, end of the day. It's just chatting with coworkers. It's not gossip. And so Folly is right there calling out to you as you're at your job, trying to get you to follow her voice. She's there in the marketplace, too. Folly is saying, hey, invest in this. You can get rich quickly. Hey, hey, buy this. Of course you need it. Why don't you need this? Of course you do. Splurge on this. You can't have too much stuff, so just buy whatever you want. Invest in this. Folly's right there in the marketplace saying, it doesn't matter how you spend your money. God doesn't care about what you do with your money. And so many times we listen to that voice. You see the competing voices in the culture as well, don't you? God says to his people, be holy as I am holy. We're to be different, right? Christians, yes. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. And so God says, be in this place, but be distinct from them. Show them what Christ is like. Be an ambassador for Christ in the world. That's what it looks like. You're in the culture and you're representing Christ. And yet folly is right there too. And folly says, hey, blend in. Do everything you can not to be distinguishable from the rest of society. Live like everyone else. Go with the crowd. Follow the trends. Accept what the culture says. Agree with everything they say. That's folly they're preaching to us. And so, so notice this. No matter where we are in life, from the church to the workplace to the marketplace to the streets, we have these competing voices. God is calling out to us, but so is folly. And the question is, who are you going to listen to? If you've got these dueling, competing voices in every aspect of your life, well, ultimately the question is, well, who are you going to listen to? Whose voice are you going to hear and respond to? And here's what I want us to understand this morning. We will listen and respond to the voice we're most familiar with. That's what you need to understand this morning. We are going to listen to and respond to the voice that we're most familiar with. That's how life works. I remember over summer when we had our, our VBS kickoff night. We met up here, and after we had our, our kickoff, our celebration, we went down to the fellowship hall uh, for taco night, which was awesome. And uh, I remember it was really loud down there because we had a bunch of people there, and people were talking and cutting up, and then the gym was full of all, all the kids, and so they were playing and running and screaming and making a lot of noise, and so it was pretty loud. But I remember being at our table, and I was uh, eating and talking with someone at our table, and I was in the middle of a sentence, and I heard a cry from the gym, and I got up and I took off mid-sentence, just didn't even finish it, just took off and ran, because I recognized that cry. I know what it sounds like when my son needs me, and so because I recognized his voice, I took off and ran. And I want you to understand something. The reason I did that is because his voice, even in the midst of all those voices, was recognizable to me. I can distinguish his voice in a sea of voices. And I want you to understand that is exactly how it's meant to be with us and God. If you truly know God, you are meant to be able to recognize his voice even if you have all sorts of competing voices in your life. But I want to warn you right now and tell you something that if you do not know Jesus you're not going to recognize his voice. And if you don't recognize his voice, you're not going to follow him. That's exactly what the Bible says in John 10, verses 2 through 5. It was part of our scripture reading. The Bible says, 
But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Why? Church, notice the verse there. Why do the sheep follow him? For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. Why? Why don't they follow a stranger? They will flee for him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So don't miss that. Jesus' sheep recognize his voice and they follow him because they know him so intimately. They recognize his voice because they know him. So if you don't recognize the voice of Jesus, what does that mean? It means you don't know Jesus. If you can't discern between the voice of wisdom and the voice of folly, well then listen, church, maybe you haven't spent enough time with the good shepherd. So many people today in our world say they want to hear from God. They want to know, why is God silent? Why why won't he just tell me what to do? They're living their lives and they're wondering, why isn't he speaking? Why is he always silent? I want to tell you something about our God this morning. Our God is there and he is not silent. The Bible says He is always calling out to us in every area of our lives, in every aspect of our lives, in every sphere of our lives. God is calling out to us, begging us to hear His voice and heed what He says. And so listen, if you find yourself this morning constantly listening to the voice of folly and foolishness, constantly living in ways that are contrary to God's ways, constantly giving in to sin and temptation, constantly thinking that you can live however you want without consequences. If you find yourself here this morning and you see that you are just totally complacent with living exactly however you want to live and you know that it's against what God says but you just don't care, then it means that you do not know Jesus. It means the voice you recognize most, the one that you are following most, is the voice of folly and foolishness. And so God calls us today to come to Jesus, to sit at His feet, to learn from Him, to familiarize yourself with the voice of the Good Shepherd so that when He calls out to His sheep, you will be able to recognize His voice. You will hear what He says to His people and you will be able to heed what He says. That's what I desire for you. That's what God desires for you. He wants you to be able to recognize His voice even in a sea of voices so that you will follow what He says. And that's one reason why we're hindered from hearing and heeding the voice of wisdom is because we are always surrounded by these sea of voices that try to drown out the voice of wisdom. And so notice verse 22, wisdom asks a question. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? You see, this is what happened. God is looking out on humanity and he sees so many people who are walking this path of foolishness that leads to destruction. He sees that we are ignoring Him and His ways. He sees that we are choosing our own ways. He sees that we are just absolutely despising wisdom and going down this path that is sure to lead to destruction. And most of the time, we're totally content doing that. And He wants to wake us up. 
I mean, he wants to wake us up so that we don't ultimately have to face those consequences, so that we don't ultimately have to face destruction. He's trying to wake us up, and he does so by asking these uh, questions to us. How long will you love being simple? How long will you despise knowledge? How long will you continue to mock? And I know that we tend to think that these only apply to those outside the church. Preacher, preach this to them. It has nothing to do with us. We're good, right? You know this has to do with us too, right? So often in the church, we're the ones who are the most hard-headed. No, you can't believe it. Sometimes we're the most hard-headed, stuck-in-our-ways people that exist. Amen? Amen. You know it. And so God is asking, how long? How long will you continue to ignore His voice? You sit here on a Sunday morning, how long will you continue to ignore His conviction in your life? How long will you be content not to do what He tells you to do? How long until you take your next step that you know you need to take? Whether that's baptism, whether that's church membership, whether that's getting involved in a gospel group. How long will you just be content to sit there and do nothing? I mean, you really want to bring it home to a Sunday morning? God's asking, how many sermons is it going to take before you change your ways? Martin Luther told his people one time when he was preaching, after he had been preaching for years and years and years and they refused to change, he told them one time during his Sunday morning announcements, if you will not change, I'm going to stop preaching to you. And God is saying here, how many sermons? How many sermons is it going to take before you change your ways? How many sermons is it going to take before you realize that that sin that you're entertaining in your life, that you know is sin, that you know you shouldn't be doing, how long before you give it up? How long before you realize that it will lead to destruction? How long will you continue to disobey the voice of God? How long will you love being simple? How long will you continue to scoff? How long will you hate knowledge? God is continuously calling out to humanity. The question is, will anyone hear and heed His voice? And I'm preaching like this because there's urgency here. There are real consequences. Look at verses 24 to 26. I want you to notice the urgency and the consequences. God says, Because I have called out and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. You'll never see those Bible verses on a t-shirt. Those don't get put on coffee mugs and bumper stickers. Who's talking here? It's wisdom, which is a personification of God himself. And he says, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. Goes on. Then they will call upon me. Verse 28. I will not answer. What? That one doesn't get put on coffee mugs either. They will call to me. I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Now, can we just admit, let's be honest with each other. These are some hard verses, right? These are the kind of verses, if you're preaching to the Bible, most of the time you just skip over them. You say, I didn't read that. (laughs) I don't know what that meant, but clearly not what it says. They're hard verses to hear. I mean, you literally have God, who's personified as wisdom here, laughing at people suffering the consequences of their actions and refusing to answer when they call for Him when they are needing help. We don't typically think about God doing things like that, do we? 
You know, there are a couple references to God laughing in the Old Testament, and every single one of them, when God is laughing in the Old Testament, it's when wicked people are suffering the consequences of their actions. I mean, you remember Psalm chapter 2, right? Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? You have the whole world in rebellion against God, and they are laughing, they're mocking, they're calling out, where is your God? They're plotting against God, they're trying to set up a counterfeit kingdom, and what does the Bible say? He who sits in heaven laughs and holds them in derision. Why? He says, as for me, I have set my king in Zion. In other words, it doesn't matter how much the wicked rebel, Jesus is still seated on the throne, amen? They can rebel all they want, but Christ is seated on the throne in Zion. And so God is able to laugh because all their plots will come to nothing. You can't overthrow God. So why is God laughing here? Well, think about it like this, right? It's hard, as we said with the opening story about the guy hanging from the fence, it's hard to feel sorry for people sometimes when you've warned them about what's going to happen. You know, it's like when a, a kid, you tell them, hey, don't touch that hot stove. It will burn you. Don't do it. And they keep going towards you. You're like, I'm telling you, it's going to hurt and I'm not going to feel sorry for you. Don't do it. And they keep going towards it and towards it. And they're like, oh, this is so inter- this is interesting. It's something hot. And you're like, it's fire. Do not touch it. It will burn you. And so what does the kid do? They listen to you, right? Because all kids are obedient. No, never. These kids don't listen. What do they do? They touch the hot stove. And then they start crying. And they're like, oh, no, daddy, I never knew this was going to happen. You're like, having a hard time feeling sorry for you. That's when they go to Anna because she's all lovey and cuddly and everything. And I'm just over there laughing in the corner like I'm really having a hard time feeling sorry for you. We told you what was going to happen, right? What did you think was going to happen? I don't laugh when my kids get burned, by the way. That's a joke. All right, so, but I want you to notice that's exactly what's happening here, okay? God has been continuously calling out to these people, turn from your ways. He's been saying that the whole time. He's been saying, hey, the way that you're living is sinful. It's going to lead in destruction. Okay, The path that you're on is the path of folly. There are going to be consequences. Turn from your ways. Listen to my voice. Do what I tell you to do. He has been continuously warning them time after time after time. And then what happens? They do not listen to him. They continue on their path of folly and destruction. And they have to suffer the consequences of their actions And God lets them. That should cause every single one of us to pause this morning because notice there's a line in the sand. God has drawn a line in the sand and he says, I'll keep warning, but eventually you cross that line, that's it. There's no coming back from that. And so he stands by and he lets them suffer the consequences of their actions and he's he's laughing And the word laughing here in the Hebrew, it's not a true enjoyment. It's like an ironic type laughing because it's like, this is exactly what was going to happen. And you knew it. And what happens, church, when that happens to people in our world? When someone has refused to listen to God and now they are suffering the consequences of the decisions that they made, how do they respond? Why, God? Exactly. Why would God do this to me? And they get angry at God for the decisions that they made that God was trying to prevent them from making in the first place. For instance, I know of a man right now who's mad at God because he is estranged from his family. He blames the family. 
He blames God, but he refuses to blame himself for his addictions, for his betrayals, for his abuse. And so he's angry at God and say, God, why would you do this? Why would you make it to where I'm estranged from my family? If you were good, you wouldn't do this. God's not the reason that man's estranged from his family. He is. He refused to turn from his sins and trust in Christ. And so what does he do? He's suffering the consequences of the decisions that he made. God's not at fault there. The man is at fault. I know of another man right now who's angry with God because he's not getting to live the life that he thought he was entitled to live. He thought God owed him, even though the Bible says that uh, God owes no one anything at all. Who's given him that he might repay anyone? But this man felt that he was entitled to a certain life. And he basically wrote his wish list and said, God owes me these things. This is what I'm entitled to. And if he's a good God, then he'll give me these things. And what happened? God didn't give him those things. And so who does he get angry at? He gets angry at God. Why would God do this? I thought he was good. Why wouldn't he give me these things? Well, the problem is the man was living in sin the whole time. Never once did he repent of anything. Never once did he turn from his sins. Never once did he truly submit himself and his life to Christ. And so what is he doing? He's suffering the consequences of his own decisions. God is not at fault there. You see, here's what happens. In our world, people just want to live in the moment. They have all this pleasure offered them, and they just want to live in the moment, and they never think for one second what the future holds. That's why anybody under the age of 21, pretty much, has never even thought about death. They think they're just going to live forever. They never give eternity a second thought. They never think about what is going to happen when I stand before God one day. And so that's the problem. I want you to understand something this morning. The promise of immediate pleasure deafens us to the reality of inevitable consequences. You see it all in our world today. That promise of immediate pleasure Immediate gratification, immediate satisfaction, it deafens us to the reality of those inevitable consequences. And they are inevitable, aren't they, church? They are coming. I mean, we continually fall for folly's siren song. Because it sounds beautiful, does it not? That's what a siren song is. It's beautiful. And folly calls to us, singing to us this beautiful song. It says, hey, this is no big deal. This sin, this is really not that big of a deal. No one's ever going to find out about it. It's it's only going to affect you. It's not going to affect anyone else. There'll be no repercussions. Nothing bad will happen. Do it. You can have this. You can have this. It'll feel like this. And so we have this huge promise of this pleasure and satisfaction and gratification. And we don't realize that it's going to lead to our destruction. I mean, so often we're like that dumb coyote who always falls for the roadrunner's tricks, right? That's us in this life. God's looking at us like we're a Looney Tunes cartoon. I mean, how many anvils have to be dropped on our head before we wisen up? Probably a few more. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I never sugarcoat anything for you. The path of wisdom is much harder than the path of foolishness. It is. The path of wisdom does require much more patience and discipline. It does require you to stop trusting in yourself and in your own wisdom. But listen to me, it is the only path that will not come back to bite you in the end. Amen? That's why God lovingly 
and continually calls for us to turn from our sins and follow Him. But I'm going to tell you something right now, church. Here's the key. The key to all of this. It has to be genuine repentance. I mean, that's why wisdom is laughing here. People look at these verses and they go, well, if wisdom is a personification of God, why would God laugh at people who are suffering consequences? You see people who are calling out to God. They're seeking Him. And they go, well, why would God not let them find Him? Why would God not answer them? Why would God do this? Here's why. It's because they said, the Bible says here, there is no fear of God. So here's what's actually happening. They are not truly repenting of their sins and saying, God was right, I was wrong, therefore I'm going to turn from my sins and trust in God. No, 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 no. They're just sorry that they're now having to pay the consequences of the actions that they took in the first place, and they don't like that, and so they're using God as a get-out-of-hell-free card. I don't want to suffer anymore, God. I know that I made these decisions. I knew exactly what would happen. But this isn't fun now that I'm suffering. So please get me out of this. That's not genuine repentance at all. You see, the problem is they don't actually hate their sin. They hate the consequences of their sin. In other words, they're not sorry they did it. They're sorry they got caught. You understand the difference, church? Are we following that? That's the difference between genuine repentance and false repentance. Genuine repentance says, I hate this sin because it is an offense to God and I want nothing to do with it. I want it out of my life and I'm turning and putting everything I have in Jesus. False repentance says, hell's pretty scary. I don't want to go there. Therefore, let me see if I can just go to church a couple times a year. That's a huge problem in the church, by the way, right? Everybody's scared of hell. (laughs) But so many people heard about hell and it led them to make a decision and now they think they're going to heaven. That's not the way it works. Hate to be the one to tell you that. You could be afraid of hell doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You ask anybody on earth, hey, I'm going to describe two places for you. This is the first one. It's called hell. Let me just get through. Here's the second one. It's called heaven. Which one would you rather go to? Even the most staunch atheist would say, well, yeah, that one, heaven. That sounds amazing. The other one's pretty bad. The Bible never once says that if you want to go to heaven, you have to be afraid of hell. Or the Bible never says just because you don't want to go to hell means that you're going to heaven. That's not the way it works. The Bible says you must Hate your sin and cast yourself on the mercy and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from it entirely. Put it to death in your life. Get rid of it. Make it no longer part of your life. And then trust with everything you have that Jesus is sufficient. Because He is. Do you believe that this morning, church? That Jesus is sufficient for you. That His life of obedience was sufficient for you. That His death upon the cross was sufficient to pay the penalty for your sins. That He rose again on that third day. That He is seated in the heavenly places right now next to the Father. And that everything about Him is sufficient to secure and sustain your salvation throughout all of eternity. Do you believe that about Jesus this morning? That's genuine repentance. That's what true faith is all about. And listen, the Bible says here, if you will do that, 
if you will turn from your sin, cast it out of your life and cast yourself on Jesus. I want you to notice this wonderful invitation. Verse 23, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I'll make my words known to you. Hey, you want to know God? You want to hear from God? Turn, and He will make His words known to you. Notice verse 33, what it says there too. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Now that sounds nice, does it not? I mean, doesn't that sound so much better than what we've got going on now? We live in a place where you have to worry about wars and rumors of wars all the time. There's so many people who, who are sure of their salvation. One day they doubt it the next. They're, they have this rocky, shaky foundation. And, and God literally says here, come to me and you will dwell secure. You won't have to worry about your salvation anymore. Because you will be on the firm foundation that is Christ Jesus. So you'll be secure And so what God wants us to do this morning is to hear and heed His voice. Stop listening to the voice of folly calling out to you in all these various aspects of your life. Tune it out. We must learn to tune our ears to God, to recognize His voice so that we can hear what He says and heed what He says. You don't have to walk the path of folly and foolishness anymore. It does lead to destruction. And I just want to warn you this morning, If you continue to play with fire, you're going to get burned. That's how it works. We all know this, yes? You continue to play around with that sin. You continue down that path. You continue to play with fire. You're going to get burned. There are real consequences for the actions that we take and the decisions that we make. And so the Bible says here, hate your sin for what it is. Hate it because it's an offense to the one and only almighty God. Put it to death in your life. Turn from it and then cast yourself on Jesus. The good shepherd calls to his sheep, so familiarize yourself with his voice so that you will heed his call. Because listen to me, if you do not heed the voice of wisdom, you will hear the laugh of wisdom. Amen?